0: Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds On Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, those people who instantly make you feel more grounded and at ease as soon as they enter the room? Well, That is how I feel about my dear friend, Shadeen Francis, and I am so excited for you to experience her thoughtfulness and her humor on today's episode. Shadeen is a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in sex therapy, emotional intelligence, and social justice. She has been featured on platforms like the New York Times, NBC, and Cosmopolitan, and speaks and writes about a range of topics from imposter syndrome to sexual self-esteem. Shadine and I crossed paths years ago when she was still a graduate student at the psychotherapy networker annual conference. And I have so enjoyed building a relationship with her. We have presented together a number of times and we are two of the founding experts on the mind app. And I just know that you're going to adore her too. So the listener question I've chosen for this episode gives us so much to sort through. Unmet needs, depression within a marriage, the decision-making process around whether and when and how to open up an intimate relationship, and the fear of hurting others. I love the expansive and empathic view Shadeen takes as we offer up questions and reflections for this listener at a crossroads. Our relationships suffer when we get stuck in an either-or story. Here, it's either we become sexually non-monogamous or I remain unhappy. We are healthier and stronger as individuals and as couples when we can sit with love's dilemmas. I want to welcome you, the listener, into this exploratory and challenging conversation. I hope that it serves you well. Hi Shadeen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: So, my dear, I want to start us off with a question that I love to ask all of the guest experts that come on to the Reimagining Love podcast. Are you ready for the question? Yes. Will you talk to me about a growing edge that you are currently working on in one of your important relationships and share a bit about what it has been teaching you?
1: I've really been leaning on this edge around negotiation, And finding, in particular, these places where in the big picture, we want the same things, but the way those same things look as we try and actualize them are different. So we agree on, okay, this is what we want sort of the big vision of our lives to look like. But what that frame or what those values are actually mean in practice are different. And so I want something that doesn't feel good to you or you want something that doesn't feel good to me or the way in which we want it isn't quite what we're both agreeing to. And trying to figure out, okay, how do we untangle the details of, okay, this is a big yes, but some of the specifics are a not yes or a no or a not enough. And that's really hard because I don't know that we talk about in any kind of relationship. I'm personally talking about my romantic relationship, right, my marriage. I don't know how well we do talking about the fact that these are ongoing negotiations in the big picture. And even as a therapist, I knew this going in. (laughs) I knew it going in. Um, And I'm one of those people who had my relationship before I had my degree. (laughs) right? but So I learned it along the way and we've had so many good conversations. And I think that no amount of theory or knowledge or textbook really prepares you for what it feels like to have to actually negotiate the terms and the details of your life and the losses that are incurred even as we work towards the rewards. Right. So to give some of this name, like thinking about where we're going to live long term and knowing that we have all of these overlapping or analogous values, but thinking about what that actually means in practice and what you have to give up in order to actualize some of the things that you believe in. And then what is lost? How do you still hold on to that as, oh, it's still important even if we're not going to be there or do that or have that thing anymore or not have it in the same way? And how do you negotiate the details of that? I am one of those have it all people. One thing that has stuck with me over many, many years, you know, this phrase, you can't have everything you want, but you can have anything you want. So what do you want? And that framing was really challenging for me for a long time because I was like, why can't I have everything? (laughs) (laughs) If
0: I try, but if I try really hard. (laughs) If, If
1: I'm strategic enough, in my positioning of all the things, maybe I can't have all of them completely, but I'm sure that I can make room on my plate for even like a lick or like a sampling. Something. <laughs> and so I'm really having to reconcile with the truth of the matter being that a life can only be so full and you can only live so many ways at the same time in so many places. Here are the things that we want. And how do you choose? It's what you're saying, lands so
0: deeply around even in a happy relationship, even when there's profound love, even when there are shared values, right? What you're offering and reminding us is that the quote-unquote choosing right and the love doesn't mean that we bypass the profound difficulty of these conversations and the negotiations. We have to be really careful to not loop them back on ourselves and be like, "Uh uh-oh, because we're having this conversation, because we're having this negotiation, because we aren't seeing things exactly the same way at the same time, it must mean I'm wrong, you're wrong, we're wrong, something's wrong, right? And I hear you really holding that space of complexity that all those things can be true at the same time. We don't have to foreclose on anything being wrong. Mm -hmm. It just is hard,
1: It just is. And (laughs) I think in some ways that I knew, but I've had the benefit of the context of my relationship to this point. And this isn't a new relationship. We're going on 11 years at this point. Things have just sort of worked. And I still have trust and faith in that as a process. And it wasn't that they worked circumstantially. We put work into things, maybe even deeper. I think if we were to pull a layer back, if I was to sort of unpack further and be more vulnerable in this conversation on choosing I think what my growing edge actually here is around grief right I think in acknowledging that yeah there are things that you will have to let go of and in the choosing you are ultimately having to accept loss and I think that is the piece that is hard for me around making choices. I am notorious for not choosing unless I am a hundred percent certain. I am the sort of person that like will go to a restaurant and will order multiple things, right? So as to not choose. Right. And then I can literally have a little bit of a lot of experiences that I am known for that. And Mm -hmm. my professional life looks like that. Uh, I sort of do just kind of all of the things I like doing. And so to come up on these places, these growing edges for me are really having to, I mean, grow up (laughs) in a particular way and really reconcile with the truth that choosing is necessary And my relationship to grief, my ongoing relationship to grief that I have been, I mean, working on for as long as I can track myself in my emotional experiences, figuring out how I hold myself as I grieve, that continues to be a growing edge and is coming up here in this particular way.
0: Right. Yeah. Because our griefs don't stay in neat, tidy little boxes, right? They are... Through lines and they're connected and there's no bypassing the grief of choosing. As we choose this one path, we let go of another path. And that's, yeah, that is so difficult. I mean, that lands in my own life around in the choice. I know what I get really confronted by is the need to trust myself, right? Because if I choose this and I release that, it's the grief, but it's also the need to kind of come back to the trust in in myself and in relational choices the trust in our relationship whatever that relationship is
1: yeah and i think a layer that exists for me is also trusting that it will all kind of work out trusting that if something is unmet now that there will be a way to reconcile i think there is always a part of me that has been afraid in choice that if i don't choose it now i can never choose it again Right? And if I don't have it, like, what if I need it? But also, I think that there's also something for me around, like, what is my trust sort of in the universe, you know, that opportunities will present themselves again or things that I want will still be available, even if I have to walk away from them at this point in time. Right? A no now doesn't have to be a no forever, but how do I also grieve the loss of the not right now?
0: Well, yeah, because when we don't, we also risk burning out. I know that I sometimes am a yes to so many things because I'm afraid in the no of losing out on an opportunity and what if. And then I know that I put myself really at risk of getting burned out, feeling spread thin, not being able to like tap in and find a deeper sense of creativity and ease and comfort in what I have
1: chosen then. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the most beautiful things about being a therapist and also a real human is that I am constantly confronting at which sort of the place at which the rubber meets the road so to speak I'm constantly sort of figuring out what it means to have information and education and knowledge and experience in a lot of things before I've actually experienced them in my life my gosh that's right that's right that's right. right that. Uh-huh. I had a clinical degree before yep. I had a car. I have grown up in this work. I decided I wanted to be a sex therapist the summer before seventh grade. There is so much information that I have accumulated and so much, I mean, wisdom that I have that is also divorced from lived experience, right? I surround myself with people who know more and different things than I do. It's a really fun and also confronting process for me to live into my learning, if that makes sense. Yes. Live into things that I have learned or know about, because it's always different. And I'm sure that there are lots of ways in which you have felt and experienced similar. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely right. I mean, I was somebody's therapist when I was 22 years old. So I was a therapist before I was a wife. I was a therapist before I was a mother. I think yeah, having just launched our firstborn son, I'm aware that this chapter of Letting Go I am so at risk of looking in the rearview mirror and looking at choices that we made every step of the way and how choice A led to B and what if, and it is, I have all the theory in the world about how <laughs> profoundly unhelpful that is. And then as you were speaking to the spirituality, right? Like that's what I return to again and again is that we make the choices as best we can with the information we have at the time that we make them. And we trust something bigger. Yeah. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you. Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating hosted by Julie Kraftchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, my dear. Okay, so I think that this whole conversation around choice and negotiation leads us into the question that I chose for you and I that's from a listener, it's a question, you know, from a woman who's married but whose ex has come back into her life, and I think that this question points us to some conversations about mental health and emotional intimacy and sexual boundaries and identity and because I so value your ability to hold nuance, I really wanted us to kind of unpack this question together. So, she prefers to not have her name used, but here's what she wrote. She wrote, late bloomer here, only had two partners ever, and I'm married to the second, been together for eight years. My first ex is back in my life, and we are all friends. The issue is the ex invokes feelings of care and love in me, as well as strong sexual desire. I feel deeply connected and attracted, and I feel it back from him, too. My husband declines my request for an open relationship due to his depression, which also is the cause of my feelings of neglect and abandonment. I started to seek comfort and cherishing appreciation elsewhere. How do I respect the growth of my own sexuality and expansive quality of love while also not hurting my longtime partner? How do I maintain accountability to myself and my partner and respect my desires? My partner says I'm inviting chaos into our life. I feel I could love multiple people at once. Is what I desire impossible? Am I polyamorous or just hung up on the X? Help. You know, Shadeem, before I give you the floor, I want to invite our listeners to really attend to like the rise and fall of reactivity in their own bodies as we have this conversation. So I just want to really invite people to... Just notice, right? Notice the judgments. Notice the fears. Notice the constrictions that you feel as we talk about this, listeners. Okay, Shadeen, where do you want to
1: start us? What stands oh out to boy. you? Oh boy, my difficulty is I was like, where to start? Because my yeah. brain automatically just like questions. I have so many questions. It's <laughs> so many questions, and I'm so grateful to this person. For, you know, being introspective in this process and also taking time to really lay out, you know, some of the the context of their experience. Because so often we get like a one sentence sort of piece of information and then we don't have enough of a story to really hold in in a way that I think captures the nuances uh, that are relevant here. So I think one of the things that is standing out to me in the beginning is... The talk of sexual desire and love at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. So, what I heard was this person evokes feelings of care and love from me. I also have a strong sexual desire for them. And I am curious about both of those pieces. In particular, because this person is also simultaneously describing experiences of lack in their current relationship, right? So they named that their partner, their spouse is struggling with their own depression and that they feel neglected and abandoned. And if I were in conversation with this person, I would be curious at the timing Of the ex being back in their life, the ex bringing up feelings of love and desire, and the interest in being non-monogamous, particularly polyamorous. Because sometimes our desire to explore a non-monogamous relationship is to account for unmet needs in our current monogamous relationship. That is a fair reason for someone to decide to open up the boundaries of their relationship. However, it needs to be talked about because I don't want us to necessarily conflate. I am polyamorous sort of by nature. I am non-monogamous kind of by nature, by relationship orientation or Non-monogamy is one of the strategies that we are using for all of us to feel fulfilled and satisfied. And I know those there is a lot of overlap in those places, but I do want us to be really clear because imagine this scenario. So we open up the boundaries of this relationship and my partner's depression shifts and they are now more available to meet my unmet needs. What does that mean for this other relationship that I am building What do these mean for hierarchies if we practice hierarchy, right? So I am, at least there is a legal hierarchy here, right? I am married to one person and not married to another person, right? But what does that mean for our agreements around the levels or layers of our connection, right? If I have now transitioned all of or most of my desire for feeling seen and attended to to another person and I am no longer available to my spouse who has made it possible for us to hold our relationship intact while also me having this other significant relationship and so that question of is what I desire impossible no I don't think what you desire is impossible however unless your partner is in agreement to it it doesn't happen in the context of your current marriage right that's right Mm-hmm.
0: The way that I imagine she's imagining opening up the boundaries is something around what we call disclosed non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy, where there's shared power, that everybody has a measure of agency and that there's negotiation and agreement. And right now she does not have that. My concern, as you were naming, as her husband is struggling with depression, I mean, I want to just name and validate how very, very real the loneliness I imagine to be for her, right? To be partnered with somebody. And I, even though she did a beautiful job of spelling out so much nuance for us, I have so many questions. I want to know about the husband's relationship with his depression and her relationship with his depression, right? Is he in care? Is he going to therapy? Certainly, one of my beloved teachers and mentors, uh, Terry Reel, was one of the first to write about men and depression, and his book is literally called "I Don't Want to Talk About It." And I wonder if her husband is one of is a man who doesn't want to talk about it, right? So he says I'm depressed. She knows he's depressed, but are there some constraints and barriers to him turning towards the help and support that he needs and deserves? for his depression. That's a gamble. I don't, we don't know that, but it's it's a reasonable hypothesis knowing about his gender, stated gender, and that she, I can imagine, feels quite stuck. And if they were to open up the sexual boundary around their relationship or the emotional boundary around their relationship, they would need to have, as you're saying, deep, vulnerable, ongoing conversation, If he's not able to engage in deep, vulnerable conversation about the life they have now, perhaps not able to engage in deep, vulnerable conversation about his mental health struggles, then I don't feel particularly hopeful that he'd be able to have deep, vulnerable conversation about opening up, right? The way in which couples really need and deserve to have those conversations if and as they open up.
1: Right. And so for me, right, like I would love... In a non monogamous relationship scenario, for anyone seeking to have any kind of relationship to not be coming from a place of lack or scarcity. If someone were interested in you, you wouldn't want them to be coming to you from a place of, oh, what I'm getting in my current relationship is not enough. And so you are going to fill in the gap. That actually doesn't feel very good to receive even if what they receive is good, the context or the framing doesn't feel great, right? And so I would want us as much as possible. And again, everyone is entitled to their own choices. So this is not me judging it. But what we see as most successful is I'm really clear on what it is that I want and need. And so that is how I'm showing up in this relationship, not I'm coming from a place of deep black in my current relationship. And so this is my escape from that, or this is how I make up for that. I'm so curious about what happens in the asker's or the listener's relationship when she turns towards her partner. There was something around, I I seek appreciation and comfort elsewhere. And so this person is doing that for me. I wonder what happens when you turn towards in the relationship. And as you were naming, how do we talk about when I'm not getting my needs met? And this other person can act as a barrier or a distractor for us actually having the conversation that needs to be had. Sounds like a big driver here is I'm feeling neglected and abandoned because we can absolutely get comfort and appreciation and attention from non-romantic partners. We can absolutely be attracted to people who are not our partners right? And have them in our lives, in our world, right? What we actually do with that attraction is a choice. You will be attracted to other people (laughs) sometimes. It is going to happen. Right. That for the vast majority of people, that's just a reality, you know, for any allosexual person. Uh, So a person who is not asexual, right? And so those things alone don't necessarily mean that like, oh, I need to be in a romantic relationship with this person. It sounds like I want to be in a romantic relationship in which I feel those things, right? I want to be in a romantic relationship in which I feel cherished and appreciated and seen and supported and attended to and desired and desirous. And I mean, yeah. Right, right, (laughs) Right? right. Like those are wonderful things that I think that we are all deserving of if they're things that we want. And also what is the labor that has gone into creating, maintaining, reinforcing that, not just on her end, but also as you were naming on the part of her partner in acknowledgement that there is also a mental health struggle here. And so, yeah, I'm just so curious about what happens in the turning towards and what have we done to try and acknowledge the unmet needs. And realistically, if she's having unmet needs, I actually imagine also her partner is having unmet needs. Uh, And so how do we Navigate that or talk about that because, again, unless you have your partner's buy-in, what you want, at least from an ethical standpoint, a position that honors the commitment you've already made, a consensual relationship with this other person does not happen in the context of your marriage unless you are in agreement that, yeah, we are going to explore this in some form and in that way, when
0: the husband says, I'm afraid that opening up will bring chaos into our marriage, he's right in that what he's saying is I can't imagine, I don't have a way of knowing how to get to a place where this would be consensual, mutual, agreed upon, and chosen and therefore it's going So it's not the it's not the opening up. That invites in the chaos. It's a process, right? It's not the relationship status itself that is inherently chaotic. He's naming, it sounds like, a process. And he's saying, that process to me is chaotic. Shadeen, I want to just make sure I put a spotlight on something that you did twice that is so beautiful and so subtle, which is that you really invited all of us into a space of empathy for the ex, right? The first thing you did was you wondered about if they open up their marriage and the husband's depression lifts, what happens to this ex-partner who has kind of stepped in and been a stabilizer, been an ally, been a resource? And the second time was that you talked about if our question asker is wanting to open up, from a place of lack, I want to go somewhere else to get what I'm not able to get at home, then she's coming from a place of scarcity. And it has almost like a transactional kind of quality to it, which again, is a profoundly empathic thing to say, in terms of like, what's going on for this ex and what's sort of their place in all of this. And like you said, what the ex would get might feel really good, but the context in which it's being offered may not feel so good. To be functional, to be really kind of aware of the functionality.
1: I appreciate you highlighting that as a position of empathy. I work with non-monogamous couples and I think that what often happens when we hear these stories The person who is asking the question, of course, gets centered because it's their story. But I think we forget that every person in the story is actually a real person. And so, yes, as the listener or the person asking the question is the main character as it is written, they are effectively the narrator, you know, of this story All of these other folks are not like side characters or sidekicks or tertiary folks. These are people with full lives and feelings and experiences. And I think that so often because we have such a sort of monogamy focused culture and there's so much privilege around monogamy and particularly of marriage that everybody else just kind of gets shitted on or ignored or what they want or need or feel gets really cast aside. And I I have no really information about this ex other than they were in a relationship and now they are not, they are back and they're friends, right? That was a piece that was a part of it also, right? That they are friends with both her and the current partner. And so thinking about like, what position does that put somebody in? To be loving or to be desired or to be whatever context that they're in, knowing that like I have a relationship to both of you and thinking about, okay, like if this were to be a non-monogamous system, how do we take care of all parties involved such that everyone is getting enough of what they need to feel good about this experience? Right, And not all of that is her responsibility, but if, I mean, for us as therapists, if we were working with her, it would be part of our responsibility. Like, yes, who's in the room gets sort of priority, but it would not be outside of scope for me to want to meet with this other person uh, and to want to have them in the space. And we don't all need to be in the room at the same time, but I want to know how all of this can work. Because if it doesn't work for one, very soon it's not going to work for all of them. How does that impact everybody else. I appreciate you sort of shining a light more concretely on that piece because it matters. I am a biased person in that I actually believe that we all can be polyamorous. I think that was part of the question. Like, am I actually polyamorous? Like, I can't say that for her or not. I know we all have the capacity for lots of love which in some ways is the most simple definition of polyamory the folks who have multiple loving intentional relationships however not everyone practices polyamory in the sense of all of these relationships are like committed love relationships committed romantic love relationships committed romantic and sexual love relationships right like if you have more than one kid You have proof in your life that like, oh, I'm able to love more than one person at a time. If you have more than one friend, if you have relationships to parents and you love them both, right, that you can see that we have capacity to love more than one thing at a time, one person at a time. But who do you want to like actually be in whatever a relationship looks like to you? How many people do you have capacity, ability, willingness, consent to be with that I mean, isn't a concrete answer to her question just more things for her to chew on? And a lot of people recognize that like, oh, I can love many people romantically at once by falling in love with <laughs> another or more people, right? I love one person and I love another person. But again, here I would just want for us to explore, is this a desire to be in a different kind of relationship right, in order to make up for what is not happening in this relationship. That's right. That's right. If you were to do that whole exploration and come to, you know what, my partner has reached a ceiling on where they're able to go in our relationship. I actually don't sort of believe that depression is an out. Yes, it absolutely is a health concern that impacts how we're able to show up and in what way, what energy we have to do or perform certain things. But I absolutely know that depressed people are capable of being comforting and appreciative and loving and beautiful, available, warm partners, can be sexual and sexy and desirous or allow you to feel desired or sexy, right? Have sex, whatever. I would want, especially because the answer is no now, sometimes the answer being no now is also a partner acknowledging that the relationship is not in a place where it could hold that change. And so I would want us to explore more concretely, okay, what is the secure foundation from the relationship you currently have? What is the secure foundation that we could then think about opening from? How do we reinforce the bond that you have here now? Or be very clear that there is nothing more that can grow here before we hyper-focus on let's do something else.
0: I imagine if they were to come into our office for couples therapy, they might come in with a very thin story. We have to decide to open or to not open, a sort of power struggle, like will we or won't we? And one of us will get what we want and the other one won't get what we want. And our work would be to really like re-problematize this whole situation and invite them and challenge them to sit with more and more nuance. And I think what you were saying about if he is in this moment from a place of fear or limitation, kind of sticking the depression tag on his forehead and saying, nope, this is me, I am depressed, this is all I can do. I would really want to invite him to remember that there's more of him than just that. And I was thinking about when you were naming that he still gets to be erotic, even if, and it was making me think about sort of male sexual scripts, if he is a penis haver and his depression is compromising his erections, compromising his libido, that I would want to really talk with him about like widening out his sexual scripts and all the ways that he gets to feel like a pleasure giver and a pleasure haver and that his whole body, right, even if one part of his body in this moment, perhaps because of medication, perhaps because of the symptoms, if his penis is in this moment, an uncooperative penis, according to the standards that we have had drilled into our heads, that he gets to have the opportunity of experiencing a bigger, wider, more diffuse, more present kind of sexuality, right? And that if we could shift, like if part of where this is coming, because it is, she's naming like, I have sexual desire for my ex. If we could really hold and support this couple's erotic connection then might that be a path forward and a way for them both to feel fuller and cared for in the dynamic?
1: Yeah. And unless they both come into the office with me, I'm not deeply invested in ensuring that the marriage works. If the couple comes to me, then the couple is my client. And if an individual comes to me, then the individual is my client. And I want to intend to all of those pieces in all of those contexts. Again, in thinking about, okay, what is it that this person wants, the person asking the question, I think that this is a really beautiful opportunity to really clarify with all folks involved, but starting with herself and then with the person that she has made a commitment to currently, right? Like, what is it that I want? What is it that I want to feel? What is it that I want to get out of this particular relationship or out of a romantic partnership period? Where are the gaps and what can be done? And there might be some grieving here, right? Grieving the time that has been lost, grieving that we hadn't had these conversations sooner, grieving any other no's that come up or any stuck places or times at which I ask for this and it doesn't go well or it's hard. You know, this might also call up some grief for this person in that. And I imagine that some of this might be amplified I think they had opened by naming that they experienced themselves as a late bloomer, and I don't really know what that means. And so, if I was getting to know them, I would want to know more about what that means to her. But these are two people that have held—I mean, it sounds like significant role in your life, in your romantic or sexual life. And so, just making space for the realities of that, and this might be kind of the first—a first real time. To have to settle into what that choice has meant. Those choices, the choices that have brought you into this relationship and to these relationships, right? Because she has ongoing relationships with the ex. They have a relationship with each other. They being her husband and her ex. There might be some things that come up around experiences that you have not had Right experiences that you didn't know you wanted or didn't know you needed, pieces of identity development that continue to happen all throughout our lifespan and exploring what does this mean, right? These feelings, these thoughts, these urges, these desires, what do they mean? I would also want to just make space for that and to just acknowledge that this is not just a relationship conversation. This is in part an identity exploration, Right? Like, what is it that you want? And pulling that away from it has to look like this, pulling it away from the picture. Right? I want us to get really deep and juicy into the story. Tell me the story of how you want to feel as you wake up on the day. Like, what would be like an ideal day? And how would it go? And how would you know that the day is going right? And what are the sounds or the smells or the tastes or the gestures? so that we can get really clear on what it is she is actually asking for.
0: Versus what she's at risk of naming, which is the lack. Even in the language of I'm a late bloomer, she's opening with a story of lack, right? Embedded in there is like, I didn't get to have this thing that maybe I was supposed to have, which is a series of experiences leading up to my marriage. That's a particular story, right? There's no hard and fast rule about the number of partners one must have before one enters a monogamous marriage. There is just that number. And if we are viewing our story from a lens of lack, then that number is always going to be wrong. It was too many. It wasn't enough. I didn't. And I love this idea of inviting her to really like plant her flag in what she does want. So rather than looking at all the spaces of absence or of yearning or of wanting, like, what does she want? And then, you know, as we were talking about in the beginning in terms of like choice and grief, I'm really curious about how she grieved the loss of the partner when he became, when the ex became the ex, right? Where in our lives are we supposed to have learned how to break up with care and consciousness and curiosity and closure? And so I would wonder about how she let go of that relationship at the time that, she let it go or her ex ended it, like what was her process? What was her support? How did she integrate the loss as she moved on to the relationship with the person who now became her husband? She's saying, I feel the pull because my ex is depressed. And I'm not saying it's an either or, but I would want us to be curious about the possibility that she feels the pull for things that have a lot to do with her relationship to herself, the degree to which she's allowed to grieve and be sad and be mad and and then it may be telling us something very like the charge that she feels around the ex may be telling us something very, very, very important around her emotional processing. Right. And I would want to be, of course, talking about her family of origin and how her emotions handle when she was little and did she get to be sad and did she get to stomp when things didn't go the way she wanted them to go right and like yeah,
1: getting to advocate for what you yeah, want yeah yeah right and you know the story that isn't being told right is how did the previous relationship end because this person is giving all of these things that feel good and we want them and we like them because they're good things. What was that like in the relationship? Is this a new thing? Is this a thing that, as you were saying a moment ago, you know, are these things that we have lost that we missed? Did the relationship close before I was ready for it? Right. That, you know, really curious about that story because sometimes again, as we get caught up in this experience of lack, I think that we can often miss again, that this is a full and complete person who also has flaws Right. And even things that are not flaws, that doesn't mean that they're just going to meet all of your needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in Mm -hmm. which in some ways they didn't.
0: (laughs) Um, Them being your ex.
1: (laughs) Right. And there's all kinds of reasons why people are not current partners, but are former partners. But I don't want us to ignore this ex-person who is a part of their lives. I also don't want us to, to demonize them. And I don't want us to put them on a pedestal either. They are another complex layered human being who is not going to measure up and live up to some of our hopes and desires and expectations in the same way that our current relationship in some ways doesn't match up to our hopes and desires and expectations. And you named a power struggle. And so how do we move out of, I want you or need you to fill this role I've sort of pre-scripted for you to fill into? And how do I come back into accepting you for you, getting to know a lot about me and negotiating for, okay, what would be satisfying knowing that I might not get every single thing that I want here? Maybe in the way or at the time that I want it, in this spirit of talking about non-monogamy, because we have such like a heteronormative sort of monogamous culture like, where are all of the other people in our lives also that allow our lives to be full and satisfied? Right? Am I only looking to feel seen, comfort, cherished, whatever the other words were? I think those were the main ones. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You know, am I only looking for that in a romantic partnership? Is that the only place where I'm lacking that? Is there room for this friendship to remain a friendship and still meet my needs without me crossing the boundaries of my relationship? Are there other places in my life that are also need? filling so that the responsibility is not only on my husband to get all of it right for me to have enough of what I need? Those are all questions and I don't have the answer to any of them. I don't think there is a big picture right answer. It's just exploring what those answers could be for her in the context of her life.
0: Yeah. you know. And as we wrap up, I want to make sure that we say very clearly how courageous it is to ask this question, right? How many people ask for forgiveness rather than permission? And what she is really struggling with is how to stay in her integrity and how to move with care. She is trying to figure out how might she ask for permission rather than doing something without the consent and buy-in of her partner and then being in a spot where she has to either ask for forgiveness or creates harm, drops a bomb in the middle of the relationship, right? So I just want to really name that part of it. There's such courage in sitting with all of this complexity. And I hope, brave love warrior that you are, that this conversation gives you some more tools and some frameworks that you can sit with. And I know that this conversation will offer listeners also tools and frameworks to bring to all of the kinds of relationship dilemmas that are around choice and needs and negotiations, Mm -hmm. identity, Mm -hmm. boundaries, all of that. So
1: yeah. I just like to highlight, just as you said, this display of vulnerability means that you are already brave. You're already brave. And so I think sometimes we know what we want or know what we need and are scared to acknowledge it or sit with it or pursue it. And so I just want to reinforce that you taking these steps to be vulnerable here and to be vulnerable in the relationships that you have is already brave. And so to have some of that trust in you, that you are looking out for you and taking care of you and that we can do the best that we can to also take care of all of the other people that we love and care about as we follow some of that inner wisdom with our courage to do what we know that we need. Thank you, Shadeen, for being here with me.
0: I know that people are going to want to know how to learn more about you and your
1: work. So where can people find you? (laughs) on the internet. Um. (laughs) So uh, I have a website. It is my name, ShadeenFrancis.com. That website will kind of link you back to ways that you can keep tabs on what I have going on. If you would like to sort of sit and journal with me, so to speak, you can join my newsletter. That will give you a digest of the things that I'm sort of thinking and reading, things that are moving me, things that are upcoming and things that have recently passed. If you want to sort of have a behind the scenes look at what some of those things look like, you can follow me on Instagram. That is where I will sort of post images and videos and some of the things that I share in my newsletter. And then I am also on a platform that you probably all know about because you're here on this podcast, (laughs) right? But I am also on a platform here with the lovely Dr. Alexandra Solomon called Mind. And it is a place at which we hold live space to go through series and answer questions. Most of us are there twice a week. So I am there two times a week doing ongoing series. I just wrapped up a series on living an orgasmic life. One of my most popular offerings, I did a sex toy tour. Mm -hmm. And so I walked folks through my very generous and elaborate collection of sex toys and helped you think about what would help bring you pleasure in your life. And so if you have questions or thoughts, ideas, comments, you want to talk more with me or just see me more, those are some of the places where you can find me and I will be there ready to receive you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you again for having me, for making this space for folks to continue to unpack their thoughts on on love and relationships and to really be able to go deeper in such a loving, warm way. I I am always appreciative of the spaces that you hold for folks to just reflect and notice themselves. Mm
0: Thank you so much, Shadeen, for addressing the listener's question and concerns with me. Marriage challenges like these are never easy to navigate, so I hope this conversation has encouraged some new ideas and new ways of thinking about healing and enlivening a relationship and addressing pain points at the root. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.